Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So this week, the title of the message is a 50-cent word called appropriation. And it's a word that everyone knows and understands, so there's really no need to preach on this. So I'm just going to go ahead and close in prayer. Would you bow your head? No, I'm kidding. Um, I will teach on this, but I want to tell a story first. Guys, I don't need hecklers this morning. I have enough problems, okay? Love you guys, too. Thank you. Yeah, I feel the love. It was Harry's last day of work before he retired. And so at the end of the day, his boss got all his coworkers together, and, and uh, he wanted to make a speech, and he wanted to thank Harry for his many years of, of service. And so his boss said, Harry is a, is a man who doesn't know the meaning of lazy. He's a man who doesn't know the meaning of can't, who doesn't know the meaning of quit. He doesn't know the meaning of the word no. So we all went together and bought Harry a dictionary. Okay, sorry, I tried. Well, today's, today's message is called appropriation. And I have to assume that some of us, like Harry, may not know the meaning of the word appropriation. In fact, I, I really... When I first, you know, when I looked at the chapter, I read the chapter, the great chapter, but I never really kind of processed exactly what that word means. And so I actually went to Webster's Dictionary, and here's the, the De- Webster's Dictionary of, of uh, the word appropriation. The act of taking something for one's use. Taking something for, you appropriate something for your use. I left the hospital <laughs> And they gave me a list of, of medications that I'm going to have to take for the next three months. And so every morning and every night, I appropriate those medications. I take them and put them in my mouth and swallow them with water. And I've appropriated the medication into my body. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's taking something and, and applying it or using it for one's own purposes or use. And guys, this message is about doing that with everything that God has provided for us. And we do that by faith. We do that by faith. We take what God has for us, what God's given us in Christ, and we appropriate those things to our lives by faith. So this sermon is is about the invitation we have to trust God by faith and to take for ourselves everything that's available to us in Christ. You know, the, the the New Covenant, the New Testament... The second half or third of this book that's under the new covenant is basically like a will. You understand what I'm saying? A will is put into effect when someone dies. Christ Jesus, God the Son, came here and died so that he could give us everything that God has for us as our inheritance. And guys, that doesn't start in the... Uh, in the sky by and by 
This is for now. This is for here. These promises are for us today. Heaven has come. We're not waiting to go to heaven. Heaven has come to us. And he lives inside of us. Jesus is heaven. And he lives inside of us. And he has all these precious and magnificent promises that connects us to his divinity. And we become one with him. That's the truth about, and, and we need to appropriate that by faith. See, we don't understand that. We have it, but we don't understand it. And until we can understand it, until we know what we have, we, we, we're not going to be able to appropriate it. If I didn't know I had those medicines sitting on my, my uh, you know, counter at home, I wouldn't know that I could take those things to help me, to help change me from the inside and the things that need to happen. And so we need to know, in order to appropriate We have to know what is ours in Christ. That's really my first point. We have to know what is ours in Christ in order to appropriate what we have. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, actually, of of those kind of things that I'm talking about in Scripture that we can appropriate. I want you to listen carefully to the words of Ephesians 1, verses 3 through through 9, and then again 13 through 14. Listen, Listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus who has blessed us, has blessed. We're not waiting for something. He has blessed us. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the universe were laid. He has always known you before creation. Before time, throughout eternity, God has already known you. He's already chosen you to be blameless and holy and blameless in His sight. In love, listen to this, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, listen, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Freely given. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished, lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God has determined and destined all these wonderful things for us. In him we were chosen, and you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, our eternal inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Guys, there is so much there. It is so powerful. I just want you to notice these words. I'm just going to reiterate this. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Glorious grace freely given us in Christ. Predestined to be adopted as his sons. The riches of God's grace lavished on us. Sealed with the the Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance. That's, that's, That's will language. That's God's will language. That's that's our inheritance. It's an inheritance language. God has already lavished us with so many things in Christ. I just want to list these things real quick. His love, his joy, his peace, his goodness, his protection, his provisions, his grace, his mercy, his favor, his blessings, and his promises. Every promise in this book is yours. If you're not receiving these, it's, it's not his fault. 
He's given them to us to, to appropriate. We got to take these promises. We got to read them and believe them and say, God, I know that it doesn't look like this yet, but it's, it's still mine and I, I appropriate this. I, I'm going to talk about the time it takes for some of these things to come to pass, but it always starts with faith. Next week, Dennis is going to talk about the identification promises in God's Word. And I'm not going to steal his thunder. Well, not much anyway. But listen to these truths that we need to appropriate. Listen to this. These are the identification truths just found in Romans 6. They're also all over the rest of the epistles. They're in Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians. But listen to this. We died with Christ. Watchman Nee said this, our sins needed the blood to wash away our sins. We, we needed to be cleansed from our sins by the blood of Jesus. But self isn't dealt with the blood, by the blood. Our self, that, that, you know, the old man, that's dealt with the cross. See, the blood washes away our sins. The cross crucifies our old man. And we, we have to, I mean, the church has forgotten, that, especially the Protestant church and, and the church in, in, in America has forgotten the second half of the gospel, that we died with Christ. We, we get he died for us, we, but we forget that we died with him. We died with him. We died to the old man. We died to sin. We died to sin's slavery. We died to the law. We're no longer under any of the law. We live out of the spirit that lives in us. We were raised, resurrected with Christ to live a new life in the spirit. Those are promises. Those are things that we need to take and say, that's mine. I appropriate that to myself. Our inheritance is here and now. And so many Christians are white-knuckling it, trying to be good boys and girls, just hanging on for heaven. If I could just be good enough, maybe God's going to love me enough and maybe I can get into heaven if I could just hang on. Guys, this life is not a life of hanging on. Amen. It's a life of victory. It's a life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And he wasn't talking about pie in the sky by and by. He was talking about this life right here and now. We're more than conquerors right here and now. We have all that we need. We just have to appropriate it by faith. So we have to know what is ours in Christ. And the way you know that is get in this book. Get in this book and find those promises. I want to help us understand appropriation. There's a wonderful story. I love it. It's my favorite story in the Bible uh, in terms of uh, parables about the goodness and grace and love of God. And it's found in Luke 15. And you guys, I, you know what I'm talking about. It's the story of what we call the prodigal son. It's really the story of the good father. It really is. This, this father had two sons, two grown sons. And um, the younger son, he was probably in his late teens, his early 20s. He was, he was well, he had to have been 21 to get, get the inheritance. But you know how some young men are. They, they just, they, they're just cramped under their father's roof. Uh, they're just struggling to, to be a part of the father's business or dad's business. And they, they, they just want to spread their wings. They want to sow their wild oats. They want to they get out of Dodge. They want to go somewhere where they can 
find themselves and, and do whatever they want to, and they just don't want to be under the oppression of their father's watchful eye. Yeah, I mean, it, it just happens, right? I'm going to tell you something. We, we give the prodigal a hard time. I think prodigals that go and, and, and do some of that stuff and come home to the Father and find the grace and love and acceptance that they didn't know they even needed before they left home, before they flew the coop and, and ended up having a famine and, and, and ending, you know, ending up in the pig slop. They make some of the best disciples and followers of Jesus because they understand grace and they appreciate forgiveness. And so this young man takes off and you know, but, but I want to read something here. This is so fascinating to me in, in Luke uh, chapter 15 here. Um, I meant to mark it, so here, here we go. Now listen to what it says here. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So his father divided the property between them. Now let me say this. This young man was appropriating his inheritance. He was just doing it in an inappropriate way. Because his dad wasn't dead yet. And that was a no-no in Jewish culture. But he knew what was his. And he had the boldness to ask his dad for it early. He's like, Dad, I can't wait for you to die, but I want my inheritance now. Now... In Jewish culture, the, older, the, the elder son got two-thirds of the, uh, of the inheritance, and the, every, all the rest of the sons divided the one-third. So there were only two boys, so he got his one-third. And within a matter of days, he had cashed it in and taken off to the far country. But not the elder son. No, not the elder son. The elder son stayed home and worked hard and, and slaved away and... And did his part and never disobeyed any of his father's orders. And, and he was just a good son, a nose to the wheel, or shoulder to the wheel, nose to the grindstone. He was, he was being obedient. He was trying hard. He was serving. He was, you know, hoping, just hope, hope upon hope that his father might be willing to give him at least a goat so he could celebrate with his friends. Guys, I, I, I don't know if you caught this. But when the younger son said, Father, give me my inheritance, it says the father divided his property between them. The younger son got his one-third, and the older son got what? A goat? He got, he got the farm and everything on it and in it. He got all the crops. He got all the animals. He got all the land. He got all the profits. He got, I mean, it was all his. But did he know it? Well, maybe not, because at the end of the story, when the prodigal comes home and, and you know, grace is extended and the, the father, uh, against every cultural norm, instead of stoning his son to death, which was supposed to happen in those days when a son did something like that, instead he threw a party for him. He reinstated him as a son and threw a party for him and wouldn't even live, listen to his sad confession of sin. He just accepted him right back. Brought him right back into the family, right back into the house, you know, sandals, robe, ring, the whole deal, and put him right back into his status as his, as his son. 
And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. Talk about not being very respectful. It, it literally should read, look you, which is something you only say to people that you disrespect. He says, look you, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What does that sound like? I never, never disobeyed your orders? Like, like, is this the military? I mean, what the heck? You never gave, gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. You never gave me a goat, but you've killed a fatted calf for this no, no good younger brother. The father is in shock. He's, he's like, well, weren't you there in the room when I divided things out? He said, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. A goat? What are you talking about? You have the farm. You know what the problem was? He didn't know it. And so he didn't appropriate it. He, didn't, he could have had any goat he wanted. And the fatted calf. And the fatted cow. And the bull. And anything else. It was all his. But he didn't know it. And so he didn't appropriate it. Guys, I think so many Christians are that way. We don't know what's ours in Christ. And so we don't appropriate things that are ours. Everything I have is yours. Jesus says, Father says, everything I have is yours. He was slaving away, being obedient to the T, just hoping his father might just throw him a bone. How many of us have been slaving away, trying to obey God, Hoping if we're good enough, if we do enough good, God might bless us when he has given us all that we need, all that we need here and now. And in order to lay hold of all God has for us, we, didn't, we need to know what's ours in Christ. Every promise in this book belongs to you. We're not a, we're not a name it, claim it church. Unless it's a promise in this book. And if it is, I say name it, write your name right above it, and claim it for yourself and tell God it's yours. Just like the, the I love the boldness of the younger son. Father, give me my part of the estate. It was his. It was legitimately his. He just asked for it in kind of an illegitimate way. Like I said, an inappropriate way. But, but he asked for it because he knew it was his. And the father didn't hesitate to give it to him. Guys, everything, every promise in this book is ours. And we can go to the father and say, God, you promised. It says twice in the New Testament, in Hebrews 6 and again in Titus 1, that God is a God who cannot lie. So if he's promised you something in this book, you can take it to the bank. It's like a check written out to you. You just take it to the bank and you say, I want to cash this check. That's what we do with God. You made me a promise, Father. You said not to be anxious about anything, but to pray and thank you, and then you would give me peace. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm asking you for peace because I've told you what I'm struggling with. Now give me your peace. We could do that. 
We already have the assurance of our acceptance in Christ. We don't have to work for it. We have the Father's unconditional love, His limitless grace, His precious and magnificent promises. Every promise in this book is yours. We're not a name and claim it church, but if it's in here, name it and claim it. Don't be like the older brother. Don't believe the lie that you have to earn God's love, God's approval, God's blessing, God's favor. All of that is already yours in Christ. And you are dead to sin, dead to the law, dead to slavery, dead to anything that would would keep you from walking in in the fullness of Christ. And Christ lives in you to live his life out through you. That's, That's the truth. No longer I, but Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is your life. Christ is everything you need, and he lives inside of you through his spirit. Secondly, we have to understand our need for what we have or what we we can appropriate, what we have in Christ. We have to understand our need. Now, I want to read a quote from the book. Life is meant to bring a succession of discoveries of our need for Christ in every facet of our lives. Do you hear that? This life is meant to bring a succession of discoveries of our need for Christ in every facet of our lives. And with every discovery, the way is open to an in, a new inflow of his supply. Okay? We, we're to discover our need. We're to turn to Christ and say, I need this. Give me my inheritance. And it opens God's supply room to give you what you need in Christ. Therefore, we are plunged into new tests almost daily where only a fresh supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will meet our needs. And as our needs are met in him, we prove the sufficiency of Christ to meet other deeper needs. In other words, the more we appropriate and receive and receive and get what we need, the more we're able to take that next step to get more, and, and, and it just in, keeps increasing. Does that make sense? So the, the, the more we experience the appropriation and the fulfillment and the receiving of what we need in Christ, and that need is met, it gives us faith to go for more. And we just keep growing. That's what, this, you know, this, that's what is happening in the spiritual growth that we're talking about. In 2012, I came upon this very thing as uh, I began to hit a series of needs, one upon another. Sometimes this will happen. Needs will come in clusters. And, um, and, and, you know, we talked about in, in preparation, God uses our needs and the failure of self-effort to get us to turn to Christ who meets our needs in himself. I was failing, I, at least in my view of things. I was failing as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a son. I was failing. My, my, the harder I tried the worse it got. I was, I was burning out. I was, I, was, I was coming to the end of myself. Thank God. But that's not, a, that's not fun. I mean, you know, it's, it's really nice in theory. Oh, I've come to the end of myself, and I realize my need for God. Hallelujah. You know, it doesn't feel like that when you're going through it. Coming to the end of yourself is a very painful process. Because we're taught 
self-effort. We're taught to, uh, to try harder, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I mean, it's the American way. And, and uh, you know, we're self-made men and women. Self-made. But in the kingdom, it's not that way. We need to get rid of self. I mean, we need to get self out of the way so Jesus can take our place and begin to live his life through us. And there's a death process that happens. There's a pruning process. And so in 2012, that, uh, that kicked into gear as I saw myself failing in every facet of my life. And the first half of the year was a series of anxiety attacks that seemed to increase by the month. They started out once every week in the early stages of 2000, you know, early months of 2012. By mid-2012, by July, I was in multiple anxiety attacks a day. I would wake up in one every morning. I had completely uh, depleted my adrenal system. And by August of 2012, I had plunged into deep, dark clinical depression. And... Um, by the end of, of 2012, first week of December, I was full-blown suicidal. I was, uh, I was really in bad shape, had to go in the hospital. And uh, in that first day in the hospital in Columbus, South Columbus, I, uh, well, God met me. Just showed up out of nowhere. I thought I'd lost my salvation. I thought I had lost his presence in my life. I did not know that he was still, still even in my life. In fact, I thought I was going to die and go to hell any minute. I, my blood pressure was high. My, my chest hurt. I was, the anxiety attacks had just taken their toll, and, and I, was, I was a walking shell. And God met me, six different Christians, the first 24 hours that I was in that hospital, ministered to me. I knew I was done here. I knew I would never speak from this stage again in 2012. I knew the elders wouldn't want someone like me back in this pulpit or leading the church. How could they? They, they watched me melt down. They watched me walk through. They, I, I didn't do this in, in, in my bedroom. In fact, <laughs> the first time I went to the hospital in August, the entire elders team got in a van with my wife and daughter and took me to the hospital. They, they watched me go through this. And I just knew they were done with me. But God wasn't. And the last person that ministered to me prophetically said, and you will go back to your church and pastor that church again. God told me to tell you that. And then he began to show me his grace, his unconditional, unlimited grace. I needed it, and he gave it to me. I needed, his, I needed to know his love. I needed to know, I, I just, and so as he began to show me these things, I began to receive them by faith and appropriate them to my life. And by midsummer 2013, I was back at the church. I was preaching again, and, and God had restored me. And since then, he's taught me how to appropriate his love, his grace, his promises, all these things that I've been talking about. But I had to understand my need for them. And you know, it's not like I didn't understand grace before. I understand it stood it great for you. All you people need to, you know, receive his grace. I just couldn't do it for myself. That, 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 that is funny. It really is. But, but not really. 
It wasn't funny for me anyway. So we have to appropriate what is ours. We have to appropriate what is ours. We have to reach out and take it by faith and say, okay, this is mine. This promise is mine. Your love is mine. Your grace is mine. Your word is mine. Jesus, you're my life. And we have to stand on it and just take it by faith and say, okay, you said it's true. It's true. I receive it. Now, here's an odd thing. And here's the the part that really doesn't feel good sometimes. As we begin to appropriate the things that we see in Scripture and the things that we come to hear in other people's testimonies about victory and about the Christ life and the exchange life and these kind of things, from the time we appropriate those things, which means to take them to ourselves, and from the time we do that and until it becomes a reality, an experiential reality in our lives where we're actually living out of that reality... And we're no longer having to lean so much on faith because it's become a part of our lives, our everyday lives. There's a period in between where we don't quite see it fulfilled yet. And that has to take persevering in faith, not falling away in unbelief. Are you hearing me? For for example, so yeah, we have to persevere in faith until God fulfills his promise. It's still true, and we will see it, but there's, there's, a, there's often a time factor between appropriation and fulfillment. For example, take the, the, the promise in God's Word that Paul talks about in Romans 6 that I mentioned earlier, and Dennis is going to talk about a lot next Sunday. We died with Christ to sin, to the old man, to our flesh, we are, we are um, dead to sin. Now, the first time I ever read that, I had just sinned. That's why I was reading, <laughs> because I had just blown it, and I needed some help. And so I went to the, and I turned to Romans, and I was reading through Romans, and I got to that verse where it says, shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? Because, you know, thank God we get grace. You know, the thing is, we get all of God's grace before we ever take one step into maturity. He gives us everything on the front end, our acceptance and, our, and his grace and his mercy and, and you know, total everything, and then we start our journey. We win at the beginning of the race. He doesn't wait till we become mature to give us these good things. He gives it all up front, and then we learn it along the way. And so I was in that process, and I had just sinned. And I was, I was a, I just turned 21 or was about to turn 21, and um, I was house-sitting for my parents while they were down in Venezuela with my brother and sister. I was alone for an entire summer, and I was really struggling with a bunch of stuff. And I, and, and, and I went to the Word, and I said, God, help me with this sin. You know, I don't want to sin. And then I read Romans 6. Paul says, shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? No way, he says. Don't you realize that you died to sin? And I'm like, nuh-uh. Because I just sinned. And he said, everyone who is in Christ has died to sin. 
We were crucified with him, and we've been raised with him to live a new life. You are no longer, therefore, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. And I said, I must not even be saved. Because this says that I die with Christ and I'm dead to sin, but I just sinned. So what does that conclude? What, what else can I conclude? But I'm not saved. But that's not true. I'm still holding on to that promise that I in Christ have died to sin, that my old self is dead, that I am a new creation, that I, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he, he became sin for me and he put, me on the, he put my sin on the cross with him. In fact, I went to the cross with him in him as the last Adam. But I'm still appropriating that promise and I'm still waiting for the, the, the full-blown victorious life where, where I, I'm not experiencing sin. On a, you know, I mean, th- there is, we'll never get to the place in this life where we are, are sinless. But we can certainly get to the place where we're living in consistent victory. And so that's where we have to hold on. So I want to I read uh, a scripture uh, related to that. If I can find it here in my notes. Yeah. So here it is in Hebrews 10, and I'm almost done, guys. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39 says this. So do not throw away your confidence about what you're appropriating in God's word and God's promises and God's truth and the realities of what God has given us. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, which is to trust and believe him, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. Faith bridges the gap between appropriation and realization of what we're asking God for. Does that make sense? There's there's a gap. Don't be afraid of the gap and don't lose your faith in the gap because you hang on and persevere in faith but my righteous one will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. So don't shrink back from your faith. Keep saying, God, I believe your word over my experience. My experience tells me one thing, but your word tells me another, and I know that your word is true. So I'm going to hang on in faith until it becomes true in my life. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to, but to those who have faith and are saved. Hallelujah. And this is my last thought here. It's not a point, but it's a thought. (laughs) As we, by faith, lay hold of God's word, God's promises, the truth about who we are in Christ, and as we appropriate these things, his promises and and his gifts and and his... his, uh, uh, you know, goodness and grace and all these things, as we appropriate these things, and then we see them ultimately, because we persevere in faith, come to fruition, come to fulfillment in our lives. We finally lay hold of them in experiential reality. We become the message of God's promise and faithfulness to others. Does that make sense? As, as we walk through this life, 
and we say, I see that promise. It's mine, and I'm going to hold on to it in faith until it becomes real. And we see another promise. We see another aspect of the kingdom, and we see another facet of what it means to be in Christ and Christ be in us. And we say, that's mine. I claim it. I take that. And, it, and, and I hold on and persevere by faith until it becomes an experiential reality. As I do that time and time and time again, then my life and your life, as we do that, our lives become a testimony to God's promises and his faithfulness. We become the message. We become the message of God's faithfulness and God's pro- his faithfulness to his promises. So, guys, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to ask the prayer team to come on up. And there is something that you are needing to believe God for. It's in his word. You know it's, it's already there. You know he's already promised something. And you need that promise fulfilled in your life. But you're not seeing it yet. And you're, you're, you're wobbling, you're wavering, you're, you're not sure that you can hang on. You're like, I need this promise, I know it's in God's word, I know it's for me, or God has made me a promise, like Wes talked about, a prophetic promise, but I'm just not sure that I have the faith to hang on. You're like the, the man whose son was an, had an epileptic uh, spirit, and when Jesus, you know, he said, if, if you can help my son, please do something, and Jesus says, what do you mean, if? He's like, you ask me, if you believe, then, then it will happen. And he says, I, I believe, but please help me in my unbelief. I mean, there's a partial faith, there's a partial belief, but then there's that, mm, I just can't quite get there yet, Lord. If, if you're there, if, if you're, you know, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief is what he's saying. Then I want you to come and I want you to share that with your brothers and sisters. We're here to encourage each other. We're here to pray for one another and, and bless each other. And just come, and, and man, when you're honest about your need, not just to God, but w- with one another, we're, we're here for each other. We're, that's, that's why we gather here together, to, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to blow wind in each other's sails as we try to lay hold of the promises and appropriate the promises of God in our lives and to live by faith. We need each other. We need each other. Man, when I, was in that, when I was in that hospital in South Columbus, I needed those six people to come to me and say, look, you're believing a lie. Here's the truth. And I was because of that, I was able to, to lay hold of the truth. That last, that sixth person that said, you're not crazy, you're not demonized, uh, you haven't lost your salvation, and you will go back to your church. When she said that, she said, because God told me that, I knew everything was going to be okay. And from that moment, I began to come up and out of that depression. We need each other, folks. Don't hesitate to come forward for prayer. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.